Hi there, Diana here. The nib section is the work of volunteers who have a passion for pens and the fountain pen community. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support us, go and give us a rating on iTunes or share us on social media. It helps us to find new listeners. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome, welcome, Incaficionados, pals of pen and paper and people stumbling across us haphazardly. No, you are not mistaken. This is a bunch of people talking stationary. And if that sort of thing moves you, you are in the right place. Yes, yes, party people, you're back once again with the nib section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. No, it is not a pigment of your imagination. This is the topic you've been dying for. Nailed it. (laughs) Today's podcast is all about inks. Here with me are a collection of guest hosts, some returning and some long overdue. Returning once again, the sometimes oblique but always double bold iron grouch, Tev. Thank you for having me, Chuck. It's great to be back. Great to have you back. Uh, next up, we've got a chemist in the community. First timer on the show and, uh, side note, one of my earliest converts to the cause. Uh, Joanne Pham, how are you today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me today. Stuff returning once again, our junior investigative journalist. Welcome back to Gene. Hi, everyone. It's good to be back again. Okay. Now, uh, what are we all writing with today, guys? Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, let's let's start with Jean. Start with me? Well, you would start with me because I'm using a pen that I got from you. Excellent. Which is now, I think you called it a Kanazawa leaf. Is yeah. that right? And it's from Platinum. And it was a medium nib. It actually writes quite fine, which mm. which suits me very nicely. I've put in Ackerman Hoftquartier Green into it. And I am loving it. I've had it for two days and I haven't put it down. It's been It's in my case. It's going to be in there for a long time. It has beautiful pictures of goldfish in it. And I'm completely in love. So thank you very much for that one, Chuck. No problem at all. Definite honeymoon phase pens. Uh, let's go over to Joanne. I've got a Franklin Christoph Italian ice pocket pen, and it is an eyedropper. And as we're talking about inks today, I think it's appropriate because you can see it very well. I filled it with a Yamabuto for those who can't see. It's a, it's a very good uh, little demonstrator. Uh, so we'll go over to Tav today, who's uh, currently pulling his weapon of choice out of a holster. Hi, okay, so I'm using a, a vintage Japanese pen, it's uh, from the 50s, It's the the brand is Woden, and it's a ebonite pen, and it's coated in Arushi. Um, I received this pen as a sort of an apology from a vintage pen restorer that I, uh, I bought a pen off and it didn't come with a bladder, so when he restored it, uh, he sent this back as a little, I'm sorry, here you go, here's something nice, and it actually turned out to be nicer than the original pen that I bought from him. Um, I've replaced the nib with a vintage Conklin Crescent nib, and uh, the the, uh, the original nib wasn't all that amazing, so now it writes quite lovely. And it's an eyedropper, and I've filled it with platinum blue-black. All right. I'm writing today with uh, another Pilot CH92 demonstrator. This one is orange, and it's got a music nib that I took uh, from a 74. It's great. Needed a little bit of work from Tav once again, and now it is perfect. Hello. Max Schumacher here with a news update for the Nib Section podcast recorded on Saturday the 7th of October 2017. To begin, I'd like to clarify a statement made previously on the show. Sailor's gentle line of inks are not being discontinued. A post by Bruno Tord of Chronicas Estilograficas has shown that the new 20ml bottles will include all the old favourites, including Yamadori, Sutan, Okuyama, and Takiwamatsu. Additionally, four new colours are being introduced to the range, Yonaga, a blue-black with some purple elements, Chimoyo, a dark grey, Yozakura, a lilac, and Yodaki, a reddish brown. 
These are interesting colours, and I think that the standout is Shimoyo. It's unusual for a grey to catch my eye, and this is a really interesting one. These inks are being offered for 1,000 yen each bottle, which is a huge increase in price over the previous 50ml bottles, which launched for 1,000 yen each bottle. Platinum have a new colour of the 3776 Century coming out with the Nice Lavender, a transparent purple with a rose gold trim. Following on from the successes of the Nice and Nice Lilas, this is likely to be numbered for the first 2,000 and then to become a regular offering. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the 3776 Century, but for those of you who want a clear purple pen with some rose gold trim, I see very few other options. Nib-range will likely be fine, medium, and broad, which is a bit disappointing, as some of Platinum's best nibs are their non-standard models, like their music and coarse nibs. Expect a price around 200 American dollars in the West, with better value being found from Japanese retailers such as Rakuten. Pelican have announced their new M805 in a blue-green model they're calling Ocean Swirl, with a similar pattern to their previous model this year, the Renaissance Brown. Part of me wishes this was a regular M800 with gold trim and a two-tone nib, but I'm not disappointed as that has already come out this year in their form of the Renaissance Brown. The nib range is extra fine to broad, which is in line with the regular M800. Promotional photos display the chatoins of this material really well, which has me quite excited for this pen. If I weren't saving for a pair of custom conids at the moment, I would be right on top of this. It's one of the most exciting colours they've released in recent memory. The release date is November 2017 sometime, with European uh, retail price being €430 or US$653, according to Apple Boom Pennon. Aurora's new 88 Minerali series has begun, with the Azurai, a very traditional demonstrator, the lovely blue Auraloid material, uh, making up the cap finial and piston knob, with just one thin band of it placed just below where the ink window would be on a solid colour pen. It has silver trim, which is to be expected on the demonstrator, it makes them look a lot better than gold in my opinion. They're limited to 333 of each colour, and nibs will range from extra fine to broad, although certain retailers are not stucking um, mediums and broads in some cases, or the extra fine. And some are installing the double broad, stub, italic and oblique options. American retailers are selling for 716 US dollars, or 921 Australian, evidenced by Goulet and Pinchelet's prices. The construction of this pen is the bin style, similar to their regular models and the Pelican pens, so concerns about staining might be remedied by this. But it has an extra reservoir in the, pen, uh, in the piston, and so it's a huge pain to clean, and sticking to safer standard inks like Aurora's own might be a good idea. I would still prefer a solid colour, such as um, with the blue Auraloid, but I'm a bigger fan of Optima models anyway. Compared to the Nebulosa, Sole, and Nexius Marte model, which is a red Auraloid with a black section and piston knob, this one falls a bit flat to be honest. Fountain Pen Hospital have a new exclusive Sailor 1911 coming out called the Butterscotch with 100 pens of each regular and large size being made. In their promotional photos they compare it to some Werther's Originals which are almost the perfect colour comparison, with the pen being slightly more orange and having gold trim. Based on their previous year's limited edition, the Ezio, you're looking at around 350 American dollars or 450 Australian for the large and 200 American dollars or 257 Australian for the standard. Nibs will likely run from extra fine to broad with music and zoom options. This is one of the better colours of the 1911 in my opinion, but the price might be a little high for some, as there's no Japanese stores to get a better price from. Visconti have a new limited edition of the Homo Sapiens coming out in a light green, almost teal model with some silver trim. They're calling this one the Jade. This is an exclusive for the European market, and only 188 pieces of it are being made. Design-wise, it's a very standard Homo Sapiens with all the trimmings. It's got the double reservoir power filler, the hook safe lock cap, a 23 karat palladium nib, and the Visconti MyPen system. 
Nibs are ranging from extra fine to broad, with one stub option, and some retailers are offering a double broad. If you are after a double broad, this may be your last chance to get one, as they are now out of production. Apple Boom have their price at 900 euro with value-added tax, or $737.70 without, which is $1,119.57 Australian. This isn't the most interesting Homo sapiens to ever have been made when contrasted with the swirls of the Florentine Hills, Crystal Swirls, and London Fog, but it's nice to have a simpler model, much like the Caput Mundi once in a while. That's all for the news this week. Back to the roundtable discussion on the topic of inks. All right. So our feature topic today is inks. I'm going to send it over to Tav to give us a rundown on the basics of uh, you know ink chemistry. Thanks for that, Chuck. I'm often known in uh, Fountain Pens Oceania as a, as a guy who's quite experienced with inks. The, the question of what are the various types of inks is quite a, a broad one. Uh, but so far as I can tell, there, there are three main ones. There's dye-based inks, uh, there's pigmented inks, and there's um, ferrogallic inks, which are also known as iron gall inks. The, the pigmented inks are probably the, the oldest type, uh, originating in uh, ancient China, I believe, with um, charcoal being used as an ink, which is technically a uh, pigment. Pigment basically is a solid that's uh, suspended in water. So it's actually uh, technically a solid compound that you could put in your pen. So some companies such as Sailor and Platinum have uh, managed to get their particle size of these compounds uh, so small that it's uh, permanently suspended in the water rather than sinking to the bottom like most people would think it would. Um, A dye-based ink is is something that's actually dissolved in the water. So normally starts off as crystals or a concentrated liquid and it's dissolved in water with various other things added. And uh, ferrogallic inks, I'll go into a little bit later, but essentially that's another very old type of ink that's created from uh, tannic acids and uh, ferric uh, ferric sulfate, that's it, ferric sulfate um, and a little bit of acid to keep it soluble. And they uh, they tend to react with the paper to create a dark color that's also solid like a pigment ink. And I think we'll find um, as we go on that pigmented inks and ferrogallic inks tend to be the ones that people use for permanence and uh, waterproofness. I think I'd like to pass it to Joanne so that she can explain to us the uh, the, the sort of the scientific differences between uh, dyes and pigments and, uh, and other aspects of ink and uh, maybe to dispel some myths about um, what goes into an ink. Yeah. Um, thanks, Tav. So you've actually summarized everything quite well there. Um, so a dye or a pigment or color um, is anything that reflects or absorbs light so that we can see the colors. Um, basic difference between dye and pigment is that one is soluble, the other is not. That's basically it. That's the difference. So I'm just to clarify, I'm a cosmetic chemist. Um, I work with colors in hair dyes, sometimes in makeup, BB creams, things like that. So I've got a limited experience, but from what I know and from my ink experiments, inks have a solvent. This usually is water because anything else is not fountain pen friendly. Um, you've got a spreading agent, so this allows your ink to glide smoothly across your paper. You've got a wetting agent so that the solvent in the dye or the pigment sits into the fibers of your, um, your paper. And then the other thing is your preservative. So these, I think, are uh, the most important parts of an ink. I'm not that familiar with the fountain pen community, so I'm not sure what the myths are. Um, so, but if someone is willing to shed that light, I'm willing to answer some questions. Uh, uh, isn't gum Arabic in inks? 
It used to be used in inks. So gum arabic was a really popular option to add into inks to add lubricity and to also suspend pigments. So as Tab saying, was saying earlier, you can get solid par particles in inks that will settle. Gum arabic will actually create like a matrix that allows your ink to sit um, suspended. Problem is if your solvent evaporates, so if you're using alcohol or water over time, uh, your gum ab uh, arabic will begin to precipitate or your ink becomes too viscous so it doesn't flow properly. Tav, so can you give us an example of each of a, you know, a soluble ink, um, an iron gall ink and a, like a pigmented ink? You know, some, some major ones that, w that we tend to use in the community. Some people may know, some people may not know. Sure, sure. Well, the, uh, the, the, the vast majority of inks are dye-based. So, you know, you've got your Waterman, your Sailor inks, your, uh, most of your Sailor inks, that is, Pilot inks. In fact, I dare say 99% of uh, fountain pen inks available are dye-based. The remainder would be uh, pigmented or iron gall. An example of uh, a pigmented ink would probably be uh, Sailor Kiwaguro or Seiboku or the Platinum Carbon Black ink. An example of an Iron Gall ink would be Pelican 4001 Blue Black, actually. A lot of people don't realize that that's an Iron Gall, but it is. So with those inks, what are some things to look out for with the sort of care and usage of those inks? And I know you're, you're going to have a, a bit to say about some uh, misconceptions about inks, particularly with, uh, say, Iron Gall. Oh, you should never use that, should you, Tav? Oh, no, no. I, I can hear everybody at, at, at home just giggling. They're like, oh, here he goes. Here he goes on his rant. But I won't. I'll be nice today. I think one of the big misconceptions about inks is that pH plays a larger role than it actually does in an ink's ability to damage a pen. Now, whilst it does definitely play a significant role, I think a lot of the time it's actually the dye itself that can interact with the materials of the pen and cause damage. I mean, the slightest form of damage that we often see is staining, and that's probably the most common form of pen damage that we see. Some people don't mind that. Some people actually like it. They think it adds character to their pen, and if that's if that's your opinion, that's perfectly fine. I've also found that uh, certain, certain uh, inks pHs can affect vintage pens and people would think that maybe iron gall's acidic pH could possibly damage some delicate pen materials like ebonite and celluloid but in fact a lot of vintage inks were very acidic and uh, it was only when certain pen manufacturers started introducing alkaline inks such as uh, Parker Superchrome that we started seeing pen materials being eroded by these kinds of inks. Acid is sort of a word that gets a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot more sensitive. It even, does. Even it though does. alkaline can do as much. Uh, well, yeah. You know, acid is not necessarily synonymous with corrosive. No, absolutely not. So I think we'll find that um, most iron gall inks, so iron gall tend to be the most acidic inks on average. Not always. There are exceptions, like a lot of Omas inks are very, very acidic, more so than iron gall. Most of the time, you should be fine using an iron gall ink, um, especially in vintages, because they are specifically designed for iron gall usage. Um, iron galls were the first fountain pen inks before aniline dyes were invented. You'll find that a lot of vintage pens don't have metal trim rings. They don't have metal parts that would come into contact with the ink apart from the nib, which would be made of gold, which is totally resistant to acid attack unless you're uh, using aqua regia as an ink, which is, you know, not going to happen. So Tav, I'm going to jump in for a yeah. second. This is Diana speaking. Um, I'm going to try and adopt the voice of every person who is an iron gore skeptic, since no one else around this panel is being that skeptic. Um, so when I use inks, I like to stray on the side of caution. And you're saying that iron gall inks are safe in most pens. 
That's correct. Yes, they are safe in most pens. What I'd, what I'd say is there are also different types of iron gall. There's, di- like, there's different acidities. So, for example, if you're looking at something like KWZ iron gall inks, they tend to be specifically created not to be very acidic. You've also got Pelican 4001 Blue Black, which is, as stated by the manufacturer, very gentle. So I would not hesitate to use those inks in virtually any pen. But then you've got inks such as Mont Blanc, um, the old formula of their Midnight Blue. You'd have Rora and Klingner, Salix and Scarbiosa. You'd have Diamond Registrar's inks, and they tend to be quite a bit more acidic. So if you're... So, so if, the ones that are acidic, what should we be... Like, where are you putting them in? Uh, so, so if you're, so I would be wary in putting them in a pen that has metal in contact or potentially in contact oh, with, okay. the, with the with the uh, ink. Yeah. So, if you look at, uh, so all you Pelican owners at home, if you have a look at the front of your pen, you'll see just at the end of the section this little metal ring. The day I don't have a Pelican with me. Yes, exactly. Well, that that would that would be your luck. So. We're, we're just going to actually, we're just going to get... Some get movement around we've the got, room. Yeah, we've got some movement. Where everyone's getting their pelicans out. Yeah, so, so yeah, we've got uh, Patrick. He's pointing at um, the, what I call the trim ring at the front of the section. And in fact, this is a good example because he's got a little bit of ink staining his. And if this was iron gold ink, if it wasn't 100% perfectly plated in gold, you might see a little bit of corrosion over time. And that's over time, though. So if you just dipped your pen in iron gold ink and wrote for it for a little bit and then flushed it out, you'd be fine. So I, I say this as concern of my own pen that you are now handling. Um, it, it's less worrying for things like gold pens as opposed to, so for example, the silvers or the, ste- the steel fittings instead, in particular. Yeah, exactly. I think also Pelican pens are designed for use with gentle iron galls, such as 4001 Blue Black. So I don't think you'd have a problem with those ones. But if you were started if you started to use it with something like Diamond Registrars, you may over time see a little bit of corrosion of the trim ring. So in summary, iron gall inks, they vary in their acidity quite a bit between iron gall. Yes, yes. And we'll probably refer to a list of your recommended yeah, generally yeah, safe yeah. iron gauze. We'll yeah. post that up on the show notes. And you should also be wary of using iron gall inks in pens that have a metal band just under the nib. Or also, look, if you want to be super, super cautious in pens with a, uh, a metal section, so the, the, um, the area into which you'd fit a cartridge or a converter, if that's metal, if you want to be super cautious, I'd avoid it there. So certain Viscontis, for example certain Watermans as well. In fact, look, I have actually had a Waterman corroded by iron gall ink. That was Rora and Klingless Salix that did actually corrode the trim and also a little bit of the section of my Waterman. What about like the uh, the Lemmy 2000, which is a sort of a well-known metal section? Well, the Lamy 2000 has a, uh, a... It's made out of a very high grade of stainless steel, so I dare say that it'd be very, very resistant to any kind of corrosion. Um, th- theirs is a cut above most other pen making materials I dare say so I think you'd be perfectly fine using it in that and then just to wrap this up I'd like to mention I'll touch upon this later but we do have a question on this I probably wouldn't recommend iron gold ink to anyone who's got sensitive skin either um, so this city yeah the city may cause um, dermatitis um, you know it, it's probably hard to you know, get out um, and you probably want to use a traditional soap that has a pH that's higher than seven which will neutralize that iron gold um, so just to wrap that section up. You've got a very anxious looking audio tech since you mentioned that. Really sorry. 
<laughs> I um I am no stranger to dermatitis, and this is especially um another particular thing in terms of keeping your pens clear. Just running my finger through the thread of this pen, especially especially if there are um, pens you have that do have metal threads as well. You've got to be careful with that. All right. So, I mean, ink hasn't been always the same throughout history. We, we, we touched on that there have been some changes, but uh, I'd like you guys to talk about some innovations in, in um, inks that have happened. Okay. So, being in the cosmetic industry, a lot of the innovations that happen in color or dyes or pigments come through to us as well because obviously they get used in eyeshadows, lipsticks, and things like that. Oddly enough, a lot of the new innovations that have come through in terms of dye have been with the color blue. So I'm sure everyone here has come across a news article some time ago that they have discovered a new shade of blue. Yeah. It's the first shade of blue discovered in 200 years. It's made of a mixture of yttrium, indium, and manganese oxides, and it was serendipity. Uh, there was a research assistant, I think, in University of Oregon or a professor, they're very different tiers, I'm very sorry, who mixed together yttrium, indium, manganese, put into an oven and when it came out it was I'm gonna say close to like an ultramarine blue a very very bright bright blue uh, Crayola is using that pigment in a crayon that'll come out at the end of the year and they will try to translate this into a soluble dye for us um, so that's something new how, how do you how do you turn a, a pigment which is solid particles into into a dye as I'm not a physicist I don't know um, but they're gonna try all right <laughs> Right. Um, following that, universities in Japan and Korea have recently developed uh, new inorganic pigments and dyes in sky blue. Um, so that's been something new for, for us. What do you mean by inorganic? So they're metal, so you can get organic dyes and you can get inorganic dyes. Inorganic dyes are ones based of um, metallic compounds and organic ones are based of like carbon, oxygen and hydrogen uh, elements. So earlier this year, scientists studying the blue tarantula, I don't know if you've all seen this, but if you're not driving, if you're in front of a computer, I highly recommend to Google this. The blue tarantula is a bright cobalt blue. In fact, Denise is wearing a jumper that is the color that the blue tarantula is. They discovered that the scales on the tarantula reflected light in a way where the wavelengths or the reflected light would sort of double up and it was like this intense blue color. They're actually able to rep replicate that effect um, in pigments now. Um, so we're getting a lot of new blue things. I don't know why. It just is pure coincidence. It's not like someone out there in the world is like, please find me new blue pigments. Sorry, dyes. you can put me down for the spider ink any day. <laughs> it, it's, it's all just a big conspiracy by Eiffel, Eiffel 65. Yeah, this is just you know? big blue, you know, coming down through the ranks telling us that, that we need to buy more ink. This is Diane again with this random question. Um, so sure. recently I was looking at like pigment information on my mm -hmm. watercolors and um, I noticed there's a problem in a lot of dyes where um, you have a problem with fugitive um, reds. So a lot of um, red pigments, they will fade over time. They don't have very good light fastness. Is that something that you can also find common in red inks? Yeah, definitely. So maybe Tav or um, Joanne? Not through personal experience, but through research, going through forums and things like that. Um, I think last night I was reading on a forum, someone said that the Noodler's eel range, which we'll touch on again later, out of that range, the red is most likely to fade to a yellow. In experience, in the cosmetic industry, we see the same thing. So, no, red's, red's just not, for worldly reasons, red is not a very stable color. So often in the lab, I'll try to create a semi-permanent red hair dye. When we go to do stability tests, that red dye will actually fade to a scarlet or an orange, and that's just the way it is. A lot of tattoo artists as well advise that if you have like a tattoo with a, a lot of red, you keep that out of the sun, because that is going to fade quite quickly. Uh, is, is it 
Is that why uh, when you have accidentally put one red sock in a in a light color washing load, everything turns pink? Fugitive fug- yeah. reds. Okay. But talking on tattoos, I um I heard on radio recently that research shows that even organic inks used in tattoos, if you expose them to a lot of light over time, they can release chemicals which can be toxic. Oh, wonderful! I guess I'm losing my foot. Um, <laughs> Just wear pants all the time, Chucks. I try to. Try to. <laughs> Don't I, wear shorts. I, I keep finding myself in places without them, you know. <laughs> um, and the problem. last thing is um, in the beauty industry, and I'm sure in a lot of other industries, um, we're getting this phenomenon where a lot of consumers think that the more natural product is, the safer or more hygienic it is to use. And I'm seeing that across um, dyes and pigments as well. So in the industry now, there's a call for innovation and research development in dyes and pigments that come from natural sources. So traditionally, a lot of these dyes are petroleum-based. Um, it's cheap. It's easy. That's the reason why. Uh, but now they're you know, looking to, like, for example, a lot of popular blues now are coming from gardenias. Uh, a lot Not of tarantulas? Maybe tarantulas, but vegans wouldn't be onto that. That's fair enough. <laughs> so a lot of the red dyes, as ladies might have heard, a lot of the red dyes come from a red beetle. They're now looking at different roots, different flowers uh, to try and achieve the same red. Um, so hopefully, you know, in the near future, we get dyes which are organic or, you know, they're nature replicated or they're nat- naturally derived. Yeah. I, I mean, as someone in healthcare, I would like to remind people that natural doesn't necessarily mean safe. Uh, arsenic is natural. Uh, Spire is natural. Is natural. All, all of these things are not necessarily safe for you. Yeah. Um, on a different, on, on the same sort of tangent, working in the beauty industry, natural really isn't safe. Um, non-toxic is safe. So pick things that are non-toxic. Use baby products. Just use baby products. And we can get on to a little bit later. There are certain ink brands that are labelled specifically as non-toxic as well. Absolutely. For all the times we eat them. Well, yeah. We're... Oh, am I not meant to be doing that? Like what? You don't start your morning with a cold, refreshing glass of Jehoban? <laughs> I mix it into my tea. Yeah, I just Jasper, buy raspberries if you're listening, and dunk we're them. thinking of you. All right. Well, let's move on to our um, question section. We asked the Fountain Pens Oceania members to hit us with their niggling little questions about fountain pen inks, and we were inundated with comments you know everyone you know has questions that they need answered and we'll do our best to answer as many as we can uh, i'm gonna put that over to tav and joanne and um we've, i mean we've got some questions here let's start with we, we touched on this already but are iron gold ink safe in vintage pens gold nib pens celluloid pens tav okay so yeah hey, yep get, get get all the giggling out yes i'm gonna talk about iron goals again so I'm sure there's people, you know, sitting at home wondering, I've got this beautiful vintage pen, I'm worried about it, you know, will iron gall inks eat my pen? And the, the short answer is probably not, because iron gall inks were, yeah, well, yeah, I can't, I can't say with 100% certainty, nothing's certain, but... So what we're saying is, email Tav if your pen gets eaten. If your pen gets melted, email me, I'd like to see it. So most of the time, uh, vintage pens were designed for use with iron gall inks, which were ubiquitous at the time. They were the permanent ink option, you know. Dye-based inks at the time hadn't advanced to the point where they were water-resistant or waterproof. Um, So iron gall inks were the go-to inks. Um, I think also a lot of people might find that if their vintage pen gushes a lot, it's because they're designed for drier vintage inks that uh, don't have quite as much surfactant or wetting agent in them. So essentially, yes, iron gall inks are 
probably safer to use in a vintage pen than a modern pen because uh, they, they tend to be made out of resistant materials like celluloid, ebonite, which is hard rubber, and uh, the nibs tend to be solid gold, which, and none of these materials will react with an iron gall ink. Did you uh, did you have want to say anything about this at all, Joanne? As well, I don't know much about iron gall inks. No? no, okay. I thought you you did look like you wanted to add something no, as well. No, no. I'm listening intently. <laughs> well, yeah. So if you're not going to have any metal in contact with the ink, as I was saying before, apart from the nib, you should be fine. All right. Uh, this this next one's a bit of a big question, but uh, you know we'll see if there's any any specific examples. But uh, Will H Smith asks if. Uh, in regards to matching pens with particular inks, what inks will behave well or poorly in certain pens? Anything, that's a big question, but it, does anything jump out at you? I think the, the, the best rule of thumb is um, match the brand with the brand, that they tend to be designed to work well with their own inks. So Montblanc pens, put, them, put Montblanc inks in them. Waterman pens, put Waterman inks in them. Pilot pens, put Pilot inks in them. That doesn't mean that you know putting a Montblanc pe- uh, ink in a Pilot pen will ruin it or won't work properly. But most of the time, pen companies design their pens for use with their own inks. All right. This next one is from Ruby Chan, and it's uh, how to keep ink in uh, good condition over the years. Is there stuff to watch out for to tell if it's going bad, if there's slime in the bottle? Can you tell with a sniff test if the ink has gone off? Is it okay to add water to an ink that is partially evaporated? Joanne? A lot of questions. Um, so I would say clean your pen before filling. Um, some inks can precipitate if you mix them, which is going to be a very big mess. Like iron galls. They will precipitate they will if you precipitate. mix them. Yep. Whatever you're storing your ink in, make sure it's airtight so that you're not introducing microbes. You're not you know, allowing it to evaporate. Store away from light and heat. I think it's really obvious. Um, just our discussion earlier on red inks, they break down really easy with UV. And also, I looked up all the MSDSs or SDSs for inks, and a lot of the ones that are available online, the only thing that it says in the storage, in the storage and handling section is... Do not freeze. What's an, M- what's an MSDS? Oh, sorry. An MSDS is a material sa- a safety data sheet. So it basically tells you um, how to handle an ingredient or how to handle a chemical, um, what its storage should be like, uh, whether it's toxic, non-toxic. All so a bit like the bit of paper that comes in your medication. That's basically it. So all of them say do not freeze. Um, but like Tav said, there are certain inks which are meant um, to be able to handle cold temperatures. If you are traveling, um, I'd recommend to stick to those. How to tell if an ink has gone bad. So... The viscosity will change. It'll become thicker or it'll it'll uh, settle. Sometimes that'll happen. If it changes color, it might have gone bad. If you get mold growth or slime, it has definitely gone bad. If you get a f- skin formation, so sometimes when you're cooking and you leave your meal for too long and it forms a skin over the top, sometimes that'll happen. Don't dip your pen into that either. Because most inks come in an amber bottle or a colored glass bottle, the best way to tell initially is just to smell it. If you have bacteria growing inside any body of water, any type of solvent, more than likely they'll be festering. And then fester is a nasty word, sorry. Um, They'll fester, they'll grow. They'll release lactic acid. The acid will smell sour. So like you open a bottle of vinegar, you get that smell that goes right up to the back of your nose. If you get that, it's gone bad. Can I just say, yeah. most iron gall inks will have an acidic smell because they are acidic. Oh, okay. They often, yeah. So, so there is that. Yeah. But an, uh, an off iron gall ink will smell very, very strongly of metal. You can just smell that really almost like uh, the mm. smell of blood. It's, it's super metallic um, cloying. So if you have that, I'd, I'd strongly recommend checking the ink um, maybe in a clear glass or plastic vessel so that you can check if there are little bits forming in it. 
And I guess I should touch on one other thing, which is when you're using a dip pen, they always recommend you use a lighter or something to burn off all your oils and things like that. You shouldn't do that with a fountain pen, but you also shouldn't handle your fountain pen um, before you dip it straight in because you are introducing microbes from your hand into the ink. I don't know what preservation systems are like for inks, and I don't know how strong they are, but I just wouldn't recommend it. Um, and the last question was, is it okay to add water to reconstitute an ink? I feel like the short answer is yes. But there are other solvents that may evaporate like alcohols, like glycols, um, and water just won't do. So you can give it a go. If you really like it, put some water in it, see how you go, but it might not perform the same. Can I also make a recommendation there? Sure. Distilled water. Don't Distilled put, water. Or, or at the very least, boil the water first to kill any microbes. Absolutely. So I should just like grab a cup out of my fish tank? Probably shouldn't. Yeah. Most, most tap water is like slightly hard water. There's mineral content in there. So, you know, distilled is a good idea. Uh, all right. The next question is from Angie Young, and it is, uh, how do you clean a pen with uh, caked dried ink in it? I'm going to pass this one over to Jean. Can I embarrass myself? So I've, I've told the story on, on previous episodes of how I was browsing eBay before I got into fountain pens, and I bought a Pilot Metropolitan, and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. I did actually admit, though, that I did that twice, because the very, very first fountain pen I ever bought, I'm like, this is awesome. This is a cool pen. I'm going to write with it. Then I got pregnant and then I was just not doing anything. And it was about six months later, I picked up this pen. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, now it doesn't write. And I threw it away. Shame. Shame. <laughs> Shame. He's going to go on like this for hours. Yeah, I know. I know. Just turn his microphone off because he's just going to keep going in the background. So I, that's what I did. And I just assumed that I had killed this pen. And so then eventually, a few months later, I decided, no, actually, I want to try this again. So I bought another Pilot Metropolitan, and then I discovered the fountain pen community. And then I discovered that my first pen had actually been salvageable. So th that's my shame, and I've admitted it in public now. I'm very sorry. My name is Jean, and I am an abuser. <laughs> but I have learned now, and I, I, since then, I have had pens that have um, that have had ink caked in it i've got one sitting at home at the moment belonging to my husband that i really have to get around to fixing and the short answer is really just soak it that that's what i did i, I soaked it and i soaked it and i soaked it i put a tiny tiny drop of detergent in the water and i soaked it some more i bought one of those ultrasonic cleaners and that i found really didn't do much maybe i just got a terrible one from ebay but really the, the best thing i just found was to soak it and flush it and soak it and flush it and eventually the the the, uh, the ink started to flow again Sorry, Jean, we, we forgive you. This definitely isn't uh, an elaborate sting to get you to admit that. The next question is from Brianna Johnson. Uh, should we be worried about shimmer inks, diamine, uh, lilac satin, clogging and damaging nibs and feeds, especially with EF and F nibs? Uh, I'm going to pass that over to Tav. Now, just before we start, just because a pen is to write fine and extra fine, that doesn't affect the feed at all. Does it? No, it wouldn't. But on average, um, a fine nib would have a slightly smaller gap between the tines uh, so as to, to avoid skipping. If you have a broader nib, the gap tends to be a little bit wider to accommodate a higher ink flow. So they tend to be tuned slightly differently. Um, and because of that, you might end up with a little bit of clogging in a finer nib. That being said, uh, clogging is not the end of the world. My rule of thumb with shimmer inks is use it in a pen you can take apart. So if, if the feed gets gunked up with these solid particles, which are essentially a pigment, if you can remove the nib and feed and soak them in water, so uh, that, that seems to be pretty much the way you'd take care of a, a clogged pen that's... Well, actually, any clogged pen, quite frankly, um, is to soak the dismantled nib section in, uh, in, in water. And 
also I feel like with shimmer inks, that's not going to be your go-to ink every day. So once you're done writing that fancy letter or card, flush it out immediately. Unlike other regular inks, you can't just soak it. Pigments aren't going to soak. They're not going to mm. solubilize in the water and wash away. You're going to have to get in there physically and try or an, and an ultrasonic cleaner. Is that going to work for the pigments? So maybe one that's not from eBay. Yeah, it. I actually uh, I've had success just using a plain old toothbrush. If oh, you yeah. uh, dismantle the feed and you just have the feed in your in your hand, use a little bit of dish detergent and just scrub it with a toothbrush. You should see most of that shimmery particle stuff going away. You might have a little bit of sparkle in the next ink you use in it, but that's just how it is. Now remember to uh, match brands. So if you do have a Colgate pen, then a Colgate <laughs> toothbrush is fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sinoni, uh, Sinoni, I'm going to say. Sinone Cairns uh, asks, how, does the Noodler's Eel range... Uh, of inks actually help to lubricate moving parts in a piston or vacuum pen or is silicon grease the only option to keep these components moving smoothly just before i pass this over to joanne i will say that i use cactus eel in my 823 and there is a difference while the ink is in the pen i don't know if it's continues afterwards but i'll pass it over to joanne um, so the short answer again to that is yes, they do allow for the moving parts of a piston or vacuum cleaner to move more easily. They also, thanks to that same those same components added into those inks, they do glide easier on the paper. Um, so people will find that. I've read, I haven't used one personally, but maybe Chucks can answer this. Some people have found that they feel greasy on paper. I'd like to assure people that there are no oils in this. It will not disturb your pen. It's just you've probably got like a water-soluble silicone or something in there that allows for that glide. Yeah, when, when I've used it, I, I haven't gotten any of that greasiness. And I'm using like a, a broad architect usually when I use it. There's not that issue. But I really only find that it's easier to use the you know the vacuum system while the ink is in there. Yeah, absolutely. One, once I've flushed it out, I don't really tend to see that Like I said, benefit. because it's water-soluble, once you flush it out, that sensation will leave. Yeah. Um, if, however, you're not a, fans, a fan of noodlers, Tav mentioned earlier that you can get nano inks with nanoparticles um, those nanoparticles will act like ball bearings almost inside your pen so if you you're using that just take a second to you know sort of analyze maybe have a feel but those theoretically should work the same way as a noodler's eel because those ball bearings are allowing parts to move easier how are, can you fast uh, quickly remove ink from stained hands and fabric without doing much harm to the material from bcl lin bill lin Okay, so uh, I'll start with hands. As a you know a hobby pen repairer, I'd get a lot of ink on my hands, and uh, my my go-to thing for that is actually Solvol. It's a bar of soap that apparently is used by a lot of tradies and uh, mechanics when they get grease on their hands. And it's the same when I'm fixing up my bike. I um, I get a lot of grease on my hands, and this is basically soap impregnated with sand. So you'll just wash your hands and scrub your hands with this sandy soap, and that will scrub the ink off. Um, I find it's a lot more gentle than, say, you know, soaking my hands in alcohol like a lot of people tend to do, and it is a lot more effective as well. Do yeah, not yeah, recommend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joanne is, is cringing. 10, do not recommend. Yeah, she's cringing at the, at the thought of that. So yeah, this essentially scrubs the ink off your skin. Or if you don't have any any of that Solvol, I find even just a um, a dish scrubbing pad tends to get rid of it with a bit of soap. For those of you who are sensitive skinned, again, uh, Dr. Bronner's is a really good range. Um, there are no scrubbing bits, but it's a high pH, so it'll neutralize the ink, lift off your skin, and that tends to work for a lot of people yeah. as well. I use alcohol, but I'm a nurse, and my 
hands so it's been half the day in alcohol and my hands are going to go to garbage you, anyway you use alcohol yeah yeah i think we all use alcohol it's yeah, just yeah. not not to clean ink off not, our hands not for the same reasons next one is uh is uh mont blanc permanent black really smudgy even long after it's dried what's the best permanent ink that's from leo fuck to tav yeah i have actually used mont blanc permanent black and yes it is quite smudgy because it's super saturated there's a lot of pigment in that ink i had and- this i had this talk with uh, one of the other guys as well that a lot of the blacks are so black like uh, much darker than you'll see in like any ballpoint pen yeah because of that high saturation exactly and if that those saturated particles don't bond with cellulose it smudges easily is that what's happening i don't believe that the um that mont blanc permanent black is is a, a cellulose reactive ink i think it's just a pigmented ink like sailor kiwaguro or platinum carbon However, it just seems to be formulated differently. It, it doesn't seem to bind to the... It doesn't seem to stick to the paper quite as effectively. So you'll end up with a bit of smudging because it, it's also slow to dry. What makes an ink dry or wet? What are some good examples of dry, middle and wet inks that uh, we should have in our collection? Uh, that's from Quentin Bell, John Kerr and Leo Fock. Okay, so uh, what makes an ink wet is how many wetting agents it has so wet and wetting agent is uh an ingredient that allows the ink to settle into the paper quite quickly you've also got spreading agents which allow the ink to slide to glide smoothly on your paper Um, and you've got dispersion agents which sometimes can act as spreading agents so dispersing agents are agents that make sure your dye or pigment don't settle and then a dry ink is just an ink that's lacking in any of those three. Okay, so I think I think we've had a request for um, what are some good benchmarks. So a really dry ink would be Pelican 4001 Blue Black. That's a super dry ink. It is an iron gold, and I think they've minimized the usage of all of those chemicals in it so as to avoid reacting with the ferrogallic compounds in the ink. A middle-of-the-road ink... I found that most Mont Blanc regular inks are very middle of the road. So the Royal Blue is just, it is very vanilla. It's not wet, it's not dry. It's just plain, no frills. And a wet ink, there's a whole bunch of them. The cheap wet inks are things like Waterman. Waterman Serenity Blue is quite wet. The Hiroshi Zuku range by Pilot is quite wet. Um, the very wet inks I've found are ST DuPont Black and the Omas inks as well. Omas inks are almost ridiculously wet. Yeah, and um, also I think a lot of people might find that very saturated inks by companies like Private Reserve and Diamine are quite ink. Uh, sorry, are quite uh, wet because, um, as Joan was saying, they um, they add a lot of surfactant, they add a lot of wetting agent, a lot of um, spreading agents to them. I think because they're quite saturated, so otherwise they'd be quite quite viscous and wouldn't flow very well. Absolutely. Sorry, um, I should also mention that Waterman Blue Black I think would probably be about middle-of-the-road ink as well. We've had that question asked of us as well. What makes some inks sheen? And uh, why do sheeting inks like uh, Nitrogen Royal Blue and Walden Pond Blue sometimes smudge weeks after putting them down? That's from Owen Lamb and Denise Tang. So I've got some pigment here. Sheening inks simply are just because the molecule or the, the chemical itself, when it concentrated, reflects a different light. Um, so sometimes those really pigmented inks, when you put them down on paper and they dry up, because they're more concentrated, they don't have the solvent, they'll come off a different colour, which is also why they're smudgy, because the pigment or the dye, the dry dye, is sitting on top of the paper. Also, there are some dyes, in my experience, that will look different in different solvents. So some dyes in alcohol will be like a slightly blue-green, whereas in water, they'll be a true blue. Um, so it's it's just how the molecule reflects light, really. So why is it then that um, we get like a metallic effect with certain sheens? 
because they're metallic pigments or metallic dyes. So uh, as I was saying earlier with Jean, you can get inorganic dyes and organic dyes. So the inorganic dyes have metal elements in there that sometimes can give a metallic sheen. So what's happening when you have an ink that sheens uniformly, like nitrogen roll blue? Because you don't have, as I understand you, when you have concentrated pools of ink, Mm -hmm that's where you tend to have the most intense sheen. Mm-hmm. But I noticed with nitrogen roll blue, even a very thin, um, like a non-concentrated layer of that ink will sheen uniformly. Like you don't notice like strong sheen and weak sheen. I think it's just concentrated. It really, sheening inks depends on two things. It depends on the property of the molecule itself and also the formula of the, the ink. So so is it that with, with the nitrogen royal blue, mm-hmm. is it that the ink itself is so concentrated that even in thin amounts, it's going to sheen as opposed to waiting for large amounts in a pool on the paper? Absolutely. All right. Uh, we, we do have some samples here from Joanne, which we're not going to do live, but we'll, we'll have some photos of afterwards of some dyes and pigments and uh, what they look like reconstituted and in powder form. Sure, we'll include that in the show notes afterwards. From Quentin Bell, as I can't resist a pun, uh, do you have a story about your worst or best ink experience? Well, well, it depends on whether you're talking about usage of ink or just what have you done with ink, because I've got one for each. Blanket, go. In, in terms of ink usage, that nitrogen royal blue we've been talking about has actually performed worst in every pen I've used it in. And I love it. I think it's beautiful and I don't regret buying it, but I, could, I can't use it as a daily writer because it makes, and I think it's just maybe because it's so concentrated, it makes my pen hard start, even if I've stopped using it for about two minutes. As soon as I'm down, I've got to start scribbling just to make it work again because it's just clogged up in there. And once it gets going, it's fine, but I can't use it day to day because it's just too frustrating. In terms of terrible things I've done with ink, I bought a bottle of the Ackerman Hoftquartier Green, which I do love. And the few days after I bought it, I hadn't even dipped a pen into it and I dropped the entire bottle in my tiled living room floor smashed gone everywhere thankfully it was on the tile it narrowly missed the rug and it missed my clothes but that was it entire bottle down and i've had to buy a new oh and that's a that's a beautiful bottle my name is gene and i am an abuser i'm starting to think we shouldn't let you near any fountain pens anymore gene only plastic bottles for gene (laughs) you're not gonna let me near yours noted uh anyone else with uh, an experience I've got one. Um, I had this beautiful black chased hard rubber Conklin Crescent filler, probably from the 30s or 20s. And uh, it worked beautifully. It was in amazing condition when I bought it. It was off an eBay auction. And I put some Diamine Wild Strawberry ink in it. And I just sort of put it down uh, for a couple of weeks. And I came back to it and it had uh, it had dried out a bit. So I thought I'd try and flush it. And the uh, the, the compression ring, any, if you uh, search on Google uh, for a Conklin crescent filler, you'll see this little crescent-shaped ring, and that's you basically press that to compress a sack inside it to fill it up. It didn't press down, and so I opened up the pen, and it turned out that the Diamond Wild Strawberry ink had reacted with the latex bladder to form this chewing gum-like substance inside the barrel, which to this day is still gummy, and I can't remove it. Amazing. How did it taste? Awful. So not like strawberries. Like, like failure, defeat, and bitterness. Just just, just bitterness. It was, or- it was awful. Now, that's an ink I've been considering getting. So you're saying don't put that in a pen with a sack. Don't. <laughs> we're, we're getting emphatic shaking of heads. Uh, sadly, we're, we're almost out of time. Um, we're going to finish up on one last question. Uh, everyone, what's your favorite uh, ink and brand? 
And uh, why? I I will say that I'm I'm gonna pick uh, Iroshizuku and I'm gonna pick Tsukio. Uh, it's a very dark blue shades amazingly it's probably one of my most versatile ones it's not necessarily the most eye-catching but it it's a great ink and it behaves perfectly uh let's go over to jean oh my favorite absolutely has to be pelican 4001 turquoise it's very cheap it's very basic but it is beautiful it shades and it works in everything and i i even put that in my in my one vintage pen on the advice of tav and I think that is probably a very good go-to everyday pen if you want something that's going to look pretty. Pelican's probably my favorite brand as well, um, possibly because of that. And I've got a few Pelican inks now. So overall, if I had to just pick one brand to keep using, I'd be using Pelican. Uh, to follow that, my favorite one at the moment is the Pelican Edelstein. Is that how you pronounce that? Edelstein Smoky Quartz. Um, I've always been a big, fra- big fan of browns and I'm a sucker for nice bottles. Tav. Well, um, my favorite ink would probably be... Um, a vintage bottle that I have of Schaefer Peacock Blue. It's probably the nicest turquoise color I've ever seen. I've never seen any ink that compares to it, even Pelican Turquoise. or The closest thing I've found modern is um, Karandash Hypnotic Turquoise, and it's a beautiful flowing ink. Um, yeah, it's it's actually been discontinued. It was discontinued many, many decades ago. Um, the, so this, this, this bottle that I have is from the 50s, I believe. It's a very, very old ink, but it's in just as good condition as it was new. It flows beautifully. It cleans very easily. It's not exactly water-resistant, but it's just a beautiful color to look at. Um, and my favorite ink brand would probably have to be Mont Blanc, mainly because they're just very dependable. They've got they've got good characteristics. They clean easily. You've got a very large bottle. They might be pricey, but I just quite like the colors that they have on offer. Great stuff. Okay. Well, uh, let's finish up with our recommendation section, guys. Uh, recommend anything. Doesn't have to be pen and uh, paper related. But uh, one thing you're enjoying right now, uh, let's start off with our guest host, Joanne. Well, that's a tough one. Well, at the moment, uh, because summer's setting in and we've just had this heat wave, I'm rec- recommending everyone use sunscreen. It's an important thing to do. Uh, it prevents premature aging and skin cancer. Um, I'm liking, for all the ladies, Mecca Cosmetica's 30-plus uh, 30 pl- 30 SPF to save face. That's it. It's fantastic. It's non-sticky. It goes well under makeup. Who's next? Jean? Uh, well, I'm going to go another TV show, uh, as I have done before. And uh, I've been watching a TV show called Atypical. It's on Netflix. It's about a, an autistic teenager who is plunging into the dating world, which is quite, can be quite a confronting topic. It's one of these things that you looks like it's going to be a bit of a comedy and it does have its funny elements, but it's actually quite, uh, quite serious, quite heartwarming. And it's as much about his family as it is about him. And I think it's just a great show. Tev, your well, recommendation. Yeah, my recommendation in, in keeping with Joanne's recommendation is now that the weather is heating up, I think it was 28 degrees this morning at 7 o'clock, I couldn't believe it, was um, to drink lots of water. Drink enough water, please. Absolutely. It's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for your skin. And your, uh, you know, your when you go to the toilet, it should be straw color. Now, I, I don't, I, most people think, oh, you don't have to tell me that, but the vast majority of people don't drink enough water. So stay healthy, kids. I, I think I'm gonna have to recommend that you wear a hat just to <laughs> slip slop slap. Yeah, make me look like the person who doesn't care about our listeners' health. I just, I, I've, but, I've, but I've do been you? set up. I've been no, set up. There's, exactly. There's two My examples. name is Jean. I am an abuser. Yeah, there you go. There it is. I've been set up. So slip slop slap listeners, uh, particularly if you're in Australia. Uh, until next time, everyone, we have been the nib section. Uh, ink well.
Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the nib section or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts on something that was discussed? Do you have suggestions for future topics or just want to let us know how we're going? Well, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at the nib section at gmail.com. You can also comment at us uh, on the nib section Facebook page or at the nib section on Twitter. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dai, Chuck Montano, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thank you for listening. <laughs>